0: Bring it in the read option back here on a Monday afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, want to open the show first off before we get to my co host for today. First, so first one on one pod that I'm doing here with my man, but uh, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. I know I promised last week that we would get to a consistent recording schedule of Monday and or Tuesdays and Fridays, but life has other plans. And uh, I had a pretty insane weekend. Uh, My sister's wedding shower was this weekend and uh, some potential career stuff was going on as well. So I was unable to get a second pot out last week, but that's okay because we're making up for it here to kick off the week with my man, Brian. San Vito. Vito, how you doing, buddy? I'm pumped to do a one-on, little one-on-one. Scotty and I have done our little one-off pods, but today it's you and me, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm
1: great. I'm great. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, when when you sent me the message, like, yeah, let's do it. Let's jump on. We have so much sports to get into. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing great. I think um, this is a great time for sports when we know that the NFL now is, and because and, it's always for me about the NFL, we're, we're a couple months away from some preseason games. We have some college football news, but at the same time, the distractions have been great with these playoff games. There's enough where we're having multiple a night, um, some soccer's going on, some hockey. It's, it's, it's a great time in sports this playoff um, mesh of games. And then, and then, you know, that'll hopefully take us through to when, uh, like you always say, is king, when the king is back.
0: When the when the king is back in its throne, you know you know where uh, you know where we're gonna be. You know it's funny, dude. We always we always do this every single year when football ends. We're like, man, how are we gonna get through? You know, like I feel like sports will cease to exist without football, right? <laughs> and then yet every single year there's so much great stuff, whether it's off season stuff for the NFL, obviously the draft, free agency, all that shit. But it, it's constant, man. Like everything going back to you know Phil. Remember the last time yeah. you and I spoke, we were the last time we had you on the pub, was that it was like Thursday and Phil was like in the mix at the PGA and we were like, oh, Phil's not gonna, you know, okay. he's a great start. you know he's two under on, on the first day. And then the guy goes on to win the damn thing. We have the US Open coming up this upcoming weekend, the third major of the year. Love the new schedule that the because mm-hmm. think about it, without the PGA championship, we, this would have been the first major that we've had since the masters and this was the first year that the PJ championship got moved to be uh in the middle of the spring so it, it's such a better schedule for golf and, and the golf coverage whether it's the bryson versus brooks beef and all that stuff which we're going to get into on on friday's pod which will be heavy uh you know we'll do nba talk to them. we're, we're gonna do a little nba talk here today as well But, you know, the Friday show is going to be a lot of previewing the U.S. Open Uh, might even end up trying to do it a day earlier. But we'll we'll see how it works out with that schedule. Uh, But you're right, man. There's a ton going on. There's a ton. And today you know, we're going to hit the NBA playoffs, some injury news, uh, a sweep in the second round. I feel like the second round just started. (laughs) I actually like forgot. I was watching that Phoenix and Denver game last night thinking it was 2-0 Phoenix. And it wasn't until the game ended and they were like and they've clinched. The spot because I don't always I don't always listen to the play by play guys like a lot of times I'll mute it and like listen to podcasts that I want to catch up on or you know do work on my laptop or do research and and I find that the play by play can be a little distracting. I did not occur to me until the end of that game that that was the fourth game of the series, so yeah we got a whole bunch of stuff going on. We're gonna hit the NBA playoffs today. We're gonna hit a lot of college football news that I know you alluded to expansion it's coming get ready for it i am very excited but we will we will get all into that and we're actually going to end the show today a little bit differently than what we've done in the past we're going to start introducing more of just life shit into the podcast man because look i'm not going to sit here and say that we're the most two interesting guys in the world but i think you and i look at the world in a very similar way and so i think when vito and i go on here it's going to we're going to always make sure we have a segment of just life talk that we kind of bullshit through as as Bill Simmons would say it's life corner right you know it yeah. we'll say a week in the life a month in the life whatever we got to say uh and we'll get to that at the end but uh we are going to start off with the NBA playoffs because every year especially in this modern version of the NBA the regular season product has dropped off significantly to what it once was which was Guys going out, playing every single night, that old school mentality. mentality And eventually what we came to realize, starting with like Greg Popovich and the, the Tim Duncan era Spurs, those guys were the first ones to really do this whole idea of like, rest nights, you know, where it's like hey, Tim Duncan's 35. I'm not going to play him every single night. I don't care if he's out for rest on a Friday night game that's going to be on TNT. This is going to help us win a championship at the end. And ever since then, the regular season product has slowly started to kind of diminish and to now it's really at an all-time low. But once you get into the playoffs, Playoff basketball is exhilarating, dude. It's literally like you're watching the NCAA tournament, but it's every single night. Instead of watching 15 games within a five-hour span, like in the NCAA tournament, you get two to three games a night every single night. And the playoffs have been exciting. So, But Vito, as we've talked about on the pod before, you're not like a diehard NBA fan. You like the playoffs. You tune in for the playoffs, which is always great. I wanted to get your kind of two cents because one of the main storylines here is what are these ratings going to look like? How much interest is there when you don't have Steph Curry or LeBron James, you know, this is going to be the first title uh, NBA finals that we have that hasn't had LeBron or Steph in it in like over a decade. So have you found ways, despite not being a LeBron or Steph, you know, or even just a big NBA fan, not having those, those two guys in there, has it still grabbed grab your attention? Are you still interested in watching the NBA playoffs, even though arguably the two biggest stars in the league are not there?
1: I have to say, it's been amazing. I think it's totally actually made me appreciate, um, let's just say, stars that aren't marketed by the NBA as much right? I, I'm watching guys that are taking over games and, and, and just even forgetting how great Paul George is. And then all of a sudden you watch him play a couple of games. You're like, what's like, you know, it's, it's been crazy. Connolly, like there's just guys that you watch and, and and you can appreciate their game and they don't have to be the best three point shooter ever, or arguably LeBron, like, you know, one of the best and most dominant players from the, seventh grade until he ends his NBA career, right? Like it, it, there are other guys that we're able to witness and watch. And, and I think it's really good for a younger generation, um, of players. And, and so I'm actually, I've been more engaged because LeBron and Steph are out. Cause if they were in, honestly, I'd be like, cool. Okay. One of them is going to make other, oh, both in the West. So that's the championship there. Let's see what's going on in the East. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I would been not care as much. Been yeah. that
0: We've seen LeBron do his thing. And that's why, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, being ready for the post-LeBron era. And none of that is to say that, you know, I don't love LeBron, which I don't love LeBron, but I love watching LeBron play basketball. Yeah. Same thing with Kyrie Irving. I don't love Kyrie Irving. I think he's, he's kind of out there. I think a lot of his views on how – professional sports work are a little bit backwards. Cause he looks at it through a very singular lens. He, despite the fact that he's this kind of very, he's crazy intelligent, but he's kind of too smart for his own good. You know, he kind of like has overthought it to now he's at this point where like, he doesn't think fans are essential for pro sports. And it's like, you do realize that without fans, there is no such thing as pro sports yeah, you're right in pain yeah. and it's the tough it's the tough debate Where you know with naomi osaka the the tennis superstar who didn't want to do post-game press conferences because of her mental health which i feel very conflicted on because i'm a massive proponent of mental health and taking care of that but at the same mm-hmm. time you know if you just want to go out there and play tennis you can go do that in front of 20 people at a park if that's how you want to be if you want to if you want it to be one of the sports but if you want the $3 million that you get when you win the U S open, there are certain things that you kind of have to work through. And it's a really tough, like kind of middle ground there, but the NBA is, is in a great spot. As far as there's never been as much young talent that exists until right now. And I'm, I'm excited to see how the rest of these playoffs work out. We did have a bit of a snag, I would say, which is probably a little unfair to Kyrie, but Kyrie had a, Really, really brutal sprained ankle uh, mm-hmm. in their game the other day against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I am not, like I said, I'm not the biggest Kyrie fan, but I love watching him play the game, just like LeBron, just like a lot of these guys. Kyrie is one of the most incredible point guards I've ever seen. He's the best small scoring guard that the NBA has ever seen. And that's coming from a Philly guy who loves Allen Iverson, who grew up with Allen Iverson. I don't know how you can say that, but I get get, that's a respectable opinion then. That's crazy. He is that good. Like he just, his his ability to finish, right? He took what AI did and said, I'm now going to take the natural, because AI was so much of this natural scoring ability. It was this natural athleticism where it's like, not to say that he didn't work on stuff and and practice really hard, because he did, you know, as much as people always love the practice, we're talking about practice right <laughs> like like no like Allen iverson worked really hard to get yeah. as good as he is at basketball but kyrie irving is an assassin dude like he's such a specific he's, he's such a technician everything he does his footwork his the way he contorts his body his body control his ability to finish the different kinds of spin he puts on the glass to hit shots it's incredible the way that he can find ways to get to the rim he really is that special of a player and so the nets no longer have kyrie irving for the foreseeable future and in a lot of ways and i heard this kind of going around a little bit earlier is that it kind of would have been better for the nets if this was a broken ankle because a broken ankle is easier to come back from and it's Mm. easier to play on it's easier to heal from it'll heal quicker a really bad sprain we saw it with lebron though lebron's was a high ankle sprain a really bad ankle sprain can keep you out for, you know, six weeks. And then even when you do come back, even if you push that timeline a little bit forward for someone like Kyrie, who is so dependent on his footwork, I feel like it'll have a really like a really significant impact on his game and his ability. They're already without James Harden, who has not really, doesn't really seem like he's getting ready to come back. Some people think maybe it's worse than they're leading on. Uh, there's been some strange like reports on the owners, but this playoffs, all of these NBA playoffs for a little while seemed like this is like, Brooklyn's just gonna mow through everybody, and then Harden goes down. Now Kyrie goes down, and all of a sudden, now it's a 2 2 series with the Milwaukee Bucks. So, so- let yeah, me like, know, what, like, what do you think right now? Because that series, to me, despite it being 2-2, I don't think Milwaukee's looked particularly good, but that door is now wide open for the Bucks to be able to try to steal this thing, especially without Kyrie or Harden.
1: And what's crazy about it is it, it, it turns into a three-game series, for better or worse, Giannis first KD, and I love it. I want to see both these guys scoring over 50 a game. I want everyone else <laughs> to say, you know what? We're watching some one-on-one, and I know that's not basketball, and playoff basketball is all – about you know really getting open looks and getting threes so like you know what's crazy is that the team with the higher three point percentage and the assists have won every time in the series so yeah. like it's just gone that way so off ball movement passing like which doesn't really it's just basketball fundamentals always end up winning even though you yeah. have all these star power all the star power and on both teams um, and
0: defense but, too. Right. Cause yes. like in the regular season, guys don't play defense going back to the, what we were just saying about how the regular season products dropped off. A big part of that is because there is no defense that gets played in the regular season. But Milwaukee is a really good defensive team. Drew yeah. Holiday is one of the best defensive guards in the league. Giannis is a defensive player, one Defensive Player of the Year, you know, a couple of years ago.
1: That's it. It's it's how you defend it on the outside, year. on the perimeter, right? Of of the it's totally different when you watch playoff basketball. Mm-hmm. In in the regular season, you see a guy with his hand up, sprinting from the center because he collapsed too far down and like whatever. I'll let him shoot the three. He, oh, he made it. He didn't. Now it's completely different. Yeah, it's completely different. Um, and it, a lot. I don't know. I would say what I've noticed and I haven't watched a lot in the last, I watched playoff basketball and for over the last five years or so, um, haven't really been into it since college in terms of regular season where I watched every Sixers game. Cause of my roommate when yes. they like, like never won. It won like 10 games. It was awful. Yeah, the the but, process Sixers, man. Yes. Yeah. But God damn it. When we won, how fun the play in the song. Oh yeah. One, two, three, four, three, four five, five, six. Sixers. Love it. So anyway, um, watching all that was was great but what i've noticed is that the collapse down in the perimeter defense is just different now than i'm like used to growing up with like watching kobe lebron all yeah dwayne wade
0: it's really and so much of it's about switching right like being able to like hey because because you know when when kate because if you have james harden if you have and this is one of the things that make the sixers so hard to score against is it's all right, you're going to set a pick on Matisse Thibel. Well, you get Ben Simmons coming on. You can set a pick on right. Ben Simmons, but then you have Joel Embiid coming up to help. St- and that's kind of one, of one of the things I was watching a video on it today, actually, about some of the adjustments the Sixers have made against guarding Trey Young, which is Trey Young wants you to get the switch. He wants it to be high enough that he can then get into, you know, not necessarily the paint, but get past the three-point line, work his way towards the bas- basket, and get his mismatch. But one of the great things that the Sixers have done is that when Embiid sees like Clint Capella's coming up, setting the screen on Trey Young, Trey Young's you know getting around, trying to get past Ben Simmons, and then Embiid is stepping up because he's not necessarily worried about Clint Capella because he's such an elite defender. Simmons is an elite defender, you know, Thibel, Danny Green, like, and Danny Green got cooked going up against Trey Young, and but that Danny Green's a really good defensive player, right? So playoff basketball, really good, yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, and like ultimately, like. You're only going to be able to slow these guys down. You're never going to be able to take them away, right? It's right. not like in the NFL where it's like, hey, you you held this running back to 15 yards, or or you held, you know, this wide receiver to zero catches in a game. Like there is no completely shutting out in basketball. Even Trey Young's be- off nights have been, you know, 25 points and 11 assists. But well, and, and to relate, they that back need to him the- to be 35. You know. Yes,
1: and and I guess to relate that back to the Brooklyn Milwaukee. Series, what's what I'm interested in is how you know the KD versus Gianna show. I can't wait to see how this works, but who else is going to step You're going to have to have big buckets from a lot of different people. You're going to have somebody getting like, you know, honestly, some other double doubles besides, I think, like, who had it, you know, Bruce Brown had one, and like yeah, you, Blake you Griffin a step up. You're gonna, it's going to be interesting to see who else comes to play. Yeah. And that series for me is going to be defined by obviously those two MVP caliber players. And I am excited as all hell to see like a game seven come down to the wire. And I hope it's literally everyone gets out the way and it's one-on-one back and forth. Like that's yeah. what I want to see.
0: You know. Yeah. And it's just greatness going up against greatness. Right. Yeah, And you know, Milwaukee is a much more complete team and Chris Middleton's an all-star Drew Holiday has been an all-star. Like they have guys, especially without Kyrie and, and Harden, you know, milwaukee's got a fully loaded roster and the only guy they're missing is yeah i mean brooke lopez has shown things now he's definitely fallen off the last couple years compared to that year like two years ago where he was hitting like 43 percent of his threes and you're like this dude's seven feet and just shooting threes like he's a freaking shooting guard but i i look at that that lineup and the problem with brooklyn is they don't have a point guard right now they don't have a functional guard. Like even if you look at like the Joe Harris's, right? It's like the other mm-hmm. ancillary pieces around KD now without Kyrie or James Harden, they don't have a guy who can get the ball to KD, which means KD is going to have to be the primary ball handler. And what that does for them, it, it makes it really difficult. It makes it basically having to be like, Hey, this is Kevin Durant show. KD needs to drop 50 for them to have a chance. He's going to have to be double teamed. He's going to have to bring the ball up himself but he doesn't have anybody to help create for him. He doesn't have anybody to bring the ball up and let Katie get to the spots on the court that he wants to get to while you're setting up your offense, right. To be able to make a difference. It's going to be a lot of ISO ball. It's going to be a lot of screens and screening and roles. And Blake Griffin, you know, there was a, there was a time when he kind of played <laughs> this like point forward role, like even in you know Detroit a couple of years ago, I don't think that's the version of Blake we're seeing now. Blake has played out of his mind, throughout this series, the job he's done on Giannis defensively has been yeah. incredible. And, and he's shown this level of defense that honestly, I didn't know Blake even had in him when he was with the freaking Clippers, but he's also a very smart, I mean, there was a year that, you know, Blake Griffin finished third in the MVP voting. Like Blake Griffin is a borderline in the NBA, you know, basketball hall of fame, everybody gets in the basketball hall of fame. So he's probably going to get in, but he is a like borderline hall of fame player and his resume speaks for itself. And yeah, those Clipper teams underachieved, no question, but he developed, especially playing with Chris Paul an ability to initiate offense. I don't know if they're going to try that with him. I don't think he has that in his bag anymore, especially because he's been there like small ball center. So (laughs) this series has completely flipped on its head. And I, this next game five is going to, I think be very indicative as to how the rest of the series goes, because if Milwaukee comes out and beats them by 20, in Mm -hmm. brooklyn in game five it's a wrap yeah assuming that KD and assuming that kyrie and and harden don't come back right it's a it's a wrap there's 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 nothing they're going to be able to do if you know that's what we see in game five now if it's the kevin durant show and he drops 60 and now it's a game i still would say you know especially if they end up somehow winning which I, i I really don't think they will. I think Milwaukee, who has not looked good, this team is flawed. They're not as good defensively as they were for the last two years because they made certain trade, even though they brought in Drew Holiday, but they've changed the way that they've played. They're they're systematically built to be better in the postseason. But even in that game last week, that was like 88 to 86 was the yeah. final, which was like really, we yeah. got transported back to like <laughs> like 2003. We got trans back like, – transported back to the nineties and we're watching these like low scoring games, Brooklyn doesn't have a good defense. And if, even if Brooklyn did make it out with Kyrie and, and KD, I still think the Sixers would pose a whole new problem to them because well, yeah. there's no one that can guard and bead. And then no, you're adding the team. other defensive players there. So let's put it this way. If Milwaukee gets to the, the Eastern conference finals and they match up against the Sixers, I think the Sixers are win that series. Now the Sixers do still have to get through Atlanta. And if they win tonight, which we're recording on Monday night right now, that game tips off in about an hour. If they end up winning this game tonight, that series is over because it's going back to Philly for game five. And, and that, that'll be that. If Atlanta wins and now it's 2-2 and it's a little bit different, you know, we'll see. But I I think Philly has figured out a way because Atlanta has no answer for Embiid, but Philly matches up really well with everybody left in the league. Like I, the only team that was, I was really worried about was the Lakers like a fully healthy Lakers with LeBron and AD. I think that's a, I think they're probably better than the Sixers, but, and obviously the, a fully healthy nets. I mean, the fully healthy nets, I think get by the yeah. Sixers, but given the fact that it doesn't look like we're going to see Kyrie anytime soon, d- given the fact that it doesn't seem like we're going to see James Harden anytime soon, at least not a fully 100% healthy version of them. If Milwaukee knocks out Brooklyn, I think the rest of these playoffs, despite how as good as Phoenix looked last night and in the series against Denver, I think Philly's the favorite.
1: Really? I, I still think it would be Phoenix, but I agree with what you're saying about matchup problems because Sixers yeah. are a whole different matchup problem. That's what it's all about in the playoffs, but it all goes back to like what you just said. If it turns into Kevin Durant show, it goes back to the stat I brought up in the beginning that the team that has the highest three-point, shooting percentage actually the team that's gotten over like 40 every game has won and the team with the most assists has won and those are going out the window if KD's just playing at least the assist numbers are if he's just playing double teamed the whole time and has to bring the ball up so i think that's what you got to look for in in this and i agree with you i think milwaukee is going to end up taking this KD's an elite player like mvp caliber player so is giannis though and he's got more talent around him with especially chris middleton the way he's been playing
0: Well, yeah. And, you know, Chris Middleton hit that game winner in, I think it was game one against uh, Miami, like literally in the first round, first game. And since then, he's had a kind of rough stretch in the playoffs. But the last two games, we've started to see a little bit more of the Chris Middleton we're accustomed to seeing. So if he kind of has gotten through that funk and to close out this series against Brooklyn, they're going to need him to be good you know they just need him to be average you know he averages 25 a game they just need him to get around that so if that's the version we see and then you have drew holiday playing great defense because now you don't have to worry about drew holiday guarding kyrie or james harden you can put drew holiday on joe harris who is a great spot up three-point shooter but you know what you can't do when drew Holiday's guarding you be a spot-up shooter you just can't do that because you're going to be able to put Giannis on Kevin Durant or Chris Middleton on, on Kevin Durant because of the, the, you know, Katie's a legit seven feet tall. So if you're, you know, Drew Holiday, now you get to go guard one of the other guys that Brooklyn needs, like Brooklyn needs Landry Shamit and Joe Harris to be big in the, for the rest of this postseason. I, I I don't think they're going to be able to with Drew Holiday. Um, Let's go to the Western conference. You mentioned Phoenix. You said you like Phoenix as, a favorite and i know they just swept denver uh i have a couple thoughts on that i think denver and portland that first round series was a matchup of two very mediocre teams that were very evenly matched who just happened to get matched up in the playoffs because denver with jamal murray i think is a title contender and i think that series against phoenix would have gone seven games but phoenix But Denver without Jamal Murray is a very mediocre team, despite the fact that they have the MVP of the league in Nikola Jokic. Mm -hmm. So I think we watched that series against Brooklyn and Denver and that incredible Damian Lillard game where he scores 55 in double overtime, right? (laughs) You know, where we're like, oh my God, this series was was amazing. And we kind of got swept up into it because I think they were just kind of equals. I think they were both two kind of middle of the road. You know, they went six games with a sixth seed in Brooklyn or in in Portland. And so Mm -hmm. I I think we were kind of tricked a little bit into thinking that like, Oh yeah, this Denver team's really, really good. Even without Jamal Murray, they weren't, you know, they were, a they're an okay team. They're a playoff team. They're a five seed. They're a six seed without Jamal Murray with Jamal Murray. I think they're like a two or a three seed. And I think we would have seen a much different series here. uh, Had that gone that way. And Phoenix has looked great, but the reason I would still pick Philly as the favorites over Phoenix Is because they don't have an answer for Embiid. And yes, they have DeAndre Ayton. And DeAndre Ayton did an incredible job against Jokic. But even though Jokic and Embiid are both centers, they are the opposite yeah. of each other you know like <laughs> Seriously. and and B dominates based off of his physical presence what he can do in the paint both offensively and defensively he's got this face up game now so you have to be worried about that and Deandre Ayton is only about 6'10" 6'11" and beads a legit 7'2" and has about 50 pounds on Deandre Ayton so if Deandre and this is the big problem with that the Suns only have one center on their roster if if DeAndre Ayton goes down, do you know who the backup center is for Phoenix? Because they don't technically have one, but who plays oh, yeah. backup who, center? Who would it be? It's Frank Kaminsky or Dario Sarge. I'll
1: and I love Dario. Dario. I yeah. love <laughs> Dario. That's my <laughs>
0: but- Dude. But he's gonna gonna, like, yeah, he's, he's gonna like to post up Embiid. Yeah, that's who's going to have to be guarding Embiid. So two quick fouls on DeAndre Ayton. By the way, Joel Embiid gets fouled more than any other player in the yes. NBA. He draws the most fouls, had the most free, free throw uh, attempts, not only in the playoffs, but throughout the entire regular season. So if Embiid oh. is going up against DeAndre Ayton, guess who's going to be in foul trouble by the end of the first half? DeAndre I, Ayton.
1: I agree with you, and that's going to be a whole other problem. But I think the point of what I love about the Suns, Is that in their first game, no one scored over 20 points on their team and they won. Yeah. The next game, in game two, four people scored over 20 points. And then all of a sudden, like they win. And then the last game, they had, I think Booker, yeah, uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul both scored over 30, 34 and 37, respectively. So, yeah, they, what I love about it is there's enough skill down there and, and, and their bench is deep with actual people who will contribute and score. And I think that's what I love about that is that. Think about when I think about championship teams, you have to be deep and you have to have guys on the bench that just step up and go crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just right now, yes, it was against a Denver team that is not. Um, it's not Philly. They're not Brooklyn. They're they're not even honestly. They're they're probably not even like, you know, like you're saying with the Lakers was still in this. It's a whole different ball game with with some, especially if AD's healthy, but. What I'm seeing is a Phoenix team that at least has some pe- like a lot of pieces that are working yeah. together. So that's no scary. That's yeah, so scary.
0: You're right. And you're right. I'm not, and this isn't diminishing Phoenix at all because Phoenix is inc- is an incredible team. And this is the Chris Paul effect, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and De- Devin Booker's an awesome play. I love watching Devin Booker play. DeAndre Aiden has been incredible in the postseason. Like no doubt about it. Drake, uh, Jay Crowder has been awesome for them. Mikhail Bridges, who should still be a fucking Sixer is he's been phenomenal for them. And so this whole roster is their lovable team. I would love to see a Phoenix and Philly NBA finals. I think that would be a phenomenal, I think it'd be great for the league. I think it would be a fun matchup for teams, but you look at what Chris Paul has added to this team. You know, Chris Paul is it's a lost art. What Chris Paul does. He was the last of these, you know legitimate floor general point guards who yes set everybody in the positions that they need to be because your modern point guards are going to look like Steph Curry like Trey Young they're going to be these Damian Lillard they're Mm going to be guys who shoot the ball from three I mean Chris Paul made had 37 points last night in that closeout game he didn't shoot a single three (laughs) he didn't shoot a single three veto like that is that is absurd 37 without shooting a three because his mid-range game is is absurd but also he takes the best available shot and and look analytics will tell you mid-range jumpers are the worst shot you can take in basketball a deep two is by far the worst thing you can do but when you're chris paul and you know how to score (laughs) and when it's the playoffs it's similar like in baseball like yeah it's all home runs and strikeouts right now But when you get into the World Series, you need to be able to play small ball. You need to be able to do the things that are intrinsically ingrained in the sport to be able to do it. And one of the things is, can you get open looks? Can you get uncontested shots? And then can you make them? And Chris Paul gets uncontested open looks in his mid-range, and he makes them. So even though the quote-unquote analytics will tell you that, hey, that's not a smart shot, it's, is, it is for Chris Paul. It is when you add the context. Statistics are great when you're applying them to a general large number of, of people, but or an entire league, right? Or an entire roster. But mm-hmm. when you apply them to the individual, it doesn't work like that. You need the context of like, I'm okay with Chris Paul taking mid-range jumpers. And we just saw him drop 37 against the Denver Nuggets last night.
1: There's It's something about rules that don't apply to veterans because they know better. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, everyone says like, in the nfl never throw back across the middle late in the play like never do it it never works out then all of a sudden you see like you Patrick know
0: Mahomes do it
1: and you go and, and like you're like shit i guess like, he, he, he gets whatever. a pass for that Even Tom Favre, brady yeah yeah, yeah any well far would still throw a lot of picks but still like like you're right those guys though like know the risk they're taking and they've been there and he's one of the guys you're saying floor general he is a true captain in the sense of the word and and you trust him on, on the other side though in the west like how are you feeling about the Clippers right now um, in, in the jazz series? Cause Clippers finally got the win Yeah, down to one, but ha- how are you feeling about this matchup? Cause quite honestly, as someone coming in in just the playoffs, this one has been absolutely
0: wild. Yeah. So here's the thing with the Clippers, right? They, they have simultaneously they've they're built around two very talented wings, right? Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. They are on opposite ends of each other when it comes to what you can expect out of them. Kawhi is the most consistent wing player in the NBA. You know exactly what you're getting out of Kawhi every time. He's going to pick his spots. He's going to find his mid-range. He's going to hit some threes. He's going to take it to the rack. He doesn't love initiating offense, but in the playoffs, he will do it a little bit, and he's going to play really, really good defense. Rosillo has an awesome nickname for Paul George. He's he's 30-13, right? You're either getting 30 from him or you get 13. It's it's, you have no idea what you're getting out of Paul George. And frankly, I can't stand watching Paul George when he's great. He is incredible. It's he, it's like, Oh my God, where is this dude night in and night out? I want to watch this Paul George every single night. Kawhi it's like, he's going to get you 25 to 30 in the playoffs and he's going to do it so consistently. Paul George will give you 37 one night and then we'll come up with 15 the next. That's why that's where the 30, 13 nickname comes from. And it's such a hard team to gauge because I trust Kawhi more than any other wing player. Like I'm not including LeBron or KD in this cause they're not your conventional wings, but of your conventional wings, I trust Kawhi Leonard and like he's like the guy I never want to bet against Kawhi Leonard. He's your first-team
1: guy. Yeah, he's the yeah. first-team wing play. I agree.
0: But I when agree. it's Paul George, he's the guy that I always want to bet against in a big game. So it's like really? when, when you have a wing that you want to oh, – it's like I'm never going to bet against Kawhi Leonard in a big game. He's paired with the guy that I always want to bet against in a big game. So how do you how do you figure what the, like that out? Like I thought Dallas was going to win that last series, and yet the Clippers came in because in game seven, Kawhi said, give me the shit. You know, Kawhi mm-hmm. did not miss a single shot in the fourth quarter through the first six games of that series against Dallas. That's insane to think about. Not a single missed shot in the fourth That's quarter. That's crazy. Right? Like, that is who, not even, like, going up for a layup and getting hacked and missing. No, like, every single shot he took went in. And that is the brilliance of Kawhi Leonard. Whereas Paul George, again, he's going to show you signs. You're like, is he the best wing in the league? Like, this dude's unbelievable but he's also going to give you those games. Like I didn't even know Paul George was playing tonight. And how do you reconcile that? How do you take the guy that you trust more than anybody else, but the guy that you trust the least. And I guess you say, Hey, I guess that means that it's split down the middle or it's <laughs> just, you know, I, I don't know how necessarily how to make of it. Whereas Utah is consistently going to be the same thing. Talk about team basketball shooting lights out from three as a team. And now the Clippers have other stuff going on. You know, Patrick Beverly, is a, an absolute liability offensively and he's not as good defensively as he once was, but he's the dirtiest player in the NBA. Like, like I don't even think it's really much of a debate anymore at this point. Like he is just a nasty, dirty kind of player that like, it's the same thing with Draymond green. Like he needed to have that chip on his shoulder to get to where he is now. Cause he was never supposed to quote unquote, supposed to be there. Right. And so that same bulldog, kind of bit of a bit of an asshole mentality is what got him to the NBA and got him to a four year and $50 million contract to begin with. So how do you say like, all right, now when we need you, we need you to not be what is the thing that got you there, but he's become a liability on offense and now on defense because he's not as good defensively as he was. And he's resorting to these, these kind of like cheap shot fouls and these dirty little plays here and there. The Clippers are an enigma. I have no idea what to fucking make of them. (laughs) But Utah is consistent. They're going to shoot a lot of threes. They have the best shooters. They have the best cast of shooters. But Donovan Mitchell retweaked that ankle. And with a potentially now banged up Donovan Mitchell, I don't know if they're going to be able to get by the Clippers. So, I mean. It all comes I, down to him. I mean, he's 40-some. Yeah. I think it's 45
1: and 37 and then 30. Like, he's been going off. Well, I mean, he that's just the way he plays. He's Yeah. Again, he's one of the guys I'm talking about where I was like, holy shit, this guy is fun to watch. I never really watched him in the regular season. Yeah. And he's one of these guys who you're excited and you you root for now because you're like, I, I know obviously everyone's discovered him. He's in the NBA and he's a, an incredible talent. Yeah. But watching and being like, oh, this is new. This is something yeah. fresh for my eyes is and what makes me so interested. And we- why I honestly root for Utah, like you're saying, over Oh, Kawhi, I've seen win, and Paul George,
0: have seen bounce around. Like I, yeah. I would rather see this Utah like Donovan right. Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell has a bit of the, so it's also watching him do this in this series, obviously before getting hurt the other night or, you know, tweaking that angle is it's kind of affirming what we saw him do in the bubble last year, which is that he had that incredible six, seven game series against Denver where he dropped 50 and then Jamal Murray would drop 50. And it was just these two guards just going nuts against one each against one another in the second round and seeing Donovan Mitchell do this does give me hope that like all right maybe my initial cuz i've always looked at Donovan Mitchell as kind of like the heir apparent to Russell Westbrook which is this is a guy wow. who is unbelievably talented an incredible athlete highlight level dunks can shoot it up can light it up will will drop 50 in some games But I look at Donovan Mitchell and and I I see the comparisons now to Russell Westbrook. I'm seeing Donovan Mitchell's performances directly correlate to whether or not they are going to win basketball games, which for Russell Westbrook has never been the case. Russell Westbrook is always going to get his numbers, but it doesn't necessarily equate to winning (laughs) basketball games. Where We're seeing this version now where it's like Donovan Mitchell is actually really important to whether or not the, the Utah Jazz are going to win games. And look, they still have the best pure rim protector in Rudy Gobert, and they're still surrounding him with three-point shooters, whether it's Bogdanovich, whether it's uh, uh, Joe Ingles, you know, Derek Favors has played really, really well for them. So, like, this Utah team is the better team, but without Mike Connolly, which is the most important thing, and Mike Connolly' is, like, one of those universally loved guys in the NBA yes. sphere. So I, I think this game goes seven, and I think it's a coin flip for whoever wins because – I don't trust the Clippers, but I also don't love Utah without Donovan Mitchell. So this, this series has seven games written all over for me. I think yeah. the Clippers probably even it up tonight. Last thing I want to talk about with the NBA before we get going. Sixers-Hawks. Yes. Uh, we got into a little bit of it earlier. I think the Sixers end up winning this series. I think they win tonight, and I think they come home, and they they end the series at home. I think it Wednesday is when they'll, they'll be playing next in Philly. Uh, I think the Sixers right now – Between what Embiid is doing offensively, between Ben Simmons, like I was having a debate with a buddy of mine last night over text, and he texted me after the Utah game, after the Phoenix game, and said, I would trade Ben Simmons for Devin Booker a million times out of a million. And I said, Booker is one of like the top five guards that I would genuinely like if it's Steph, if it's Dame, maybe Booker. Maybe Chris Paul, but even still, like thinking long term, I probably yeah, not, wouldn't not want Chris Paul. Paul. Yeah. You know, maybe Kyrie, but I don't think Kyrie's energy and all that shit would fit in Philly. I think Philly fans, if similar, we saw what happened in Boston. Yeah, a lot exactly. Of no, they'd, straight, they'd
1: eat his fucking you know, lunch. Yeah.
0: Dame, Steph, and Book. And then, like, there's like 20% of my brain that's saying, like, maybe Jamal Murray. Other than that, I would never consider trading Ben Simmons for another point guard in this league. Because of what Daryl Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers have created in terms of this this culture in Philly and Ben Simmons and it's the it's the zag while everyone else is zigging, right? It's like yes. all right, you got yep. these teams, everyone's shooting threes, I'm gonna do stuff. It's like we're gonna throw size on the floor because we have this unicorn of a player. We have a six, ten, six foot eleven point guard who has incredible vision. He creates more open threes for his teammates than anyone else in the NBA and the the gap between him and everyone else is like, it's a very big gap. Uh, He's also the best defensive player in the league. I know everybody loves Gobert and, and I get that also other people would say, Hey Jeff, you're being biased here. And I'll own up to part of that. But to me, it comes down to, would you rather have your, if you're building a team and you can pick the best defensive player, but it has to be either the best rim protector or the best on-ball defender, which would you rather build your team around? And I would rather have the best on-ball defender. I'd rather have a guy who can match up against the other team's best player. And I'll use a potential Sixers-Suns final as an example. Not only would you have the advantage between Aiton and Embiid, you would also then be able to put Ben Simmons on Devin Booker. Or, I mean, you also have Thibault there, who's a, a statistical anomaly. We've never seen a defensive player like him before. He's legitimately that incredible of a player only two years in, only playing 20 minutes a game. But Ben Simmons, when he gets matched up against the other team's best player, remember there was a clip that went around the last time Phoenix and Philly played, which was like Devin Booker hitting like a ridiculous step back three over Ben Simmons that went in. And it's like people use that clip and were like, Oh, Devin Booker is getting the best of Ben Simmons. And it's like, did you look at the box score from that game? Did you look at how like Ben Simmons completely shut down Devin Booker? And that it literally the only way Devin Booker could score would be by taking ridiculous step back threes. Like he, oh. he shut down Luca. He shut down Damian Lillard. He shut down Giannis. He has shut down guys who can play anywhere from point guard to center. He can do all of that. So in a when you're playing Phoenix in a potential final series and you're going to be able to throw Ben Simmons on Devin Booker who has six inches on Book, who's got length, size, and is more athletic and stronger and faster than him, I'll take that. And yeah, Devin Booker probably will score 20 to 25 points. Just like Steph or just like Trey young went from scoring 35 in in game one to only scoring 22 in the next game, because they put Ben Simmons on him for 80% of the game, 80% of those, those possessions. So I just think the Sixers are such a uniquely built team. And my initial pick going into playoffs was Utah and Philly to be in the finals. I think it'll probably be Phoenix and Philly. If the guys from Brooklyn don't come back, I think that's what we'll end up seeing, but I don't know. Where do you stand on the Sixers right now?
1: What I love is, is like you said, Ben Simmons on the point guard front, but defensively it's the ability of this team to switch and take it over. Like when you can have your point guard and your center switch and it's okay, that's just done. Like that does not exist at any other team in the NBA. It just doesn't. So like, those two guys can switch and actually stay somewhat. Yes. I mean, Embiid's not the best on ball three point defender, but he's also definitely not even the close to the worst, especially oh. for his position, especially for point like power forward and center. Like he is, yeah.
0: he's he, a center who can like, and a great example of that Vito was there was a play in, uh, I think it was game two. Uh, Clint Capella comes up, sets a screen on Ben Simmons while Trey Young's handled the ball. Right. So Ben goes over the screen and steps up to, you know, prevent, Trey Young, because Trey Young loves his floaters. He takes more floaters than anyone else. Driving the lane, shoot over everybody, and that's what killed them in game one. So, what the, one of the adjustments was like, hey, when they're coming up to set a screen, Embiid, you have to step up and eliminate Trey Young's ability to get into the paint. The problem with that is, is Ben Simmons is fighting over the screen trying to get back to Trey young. And now you have the roller, which is Clint Capella running to the basket. And then that's when Trey young loves to throw his, his alley oops, right? He loves to throw it up, let Capella go up and, and, and bring it down. And steps up, stops Trey young from being able to enter the paint. So and Trey young is still two feet behind the three point line. He then throws up the lob and B it anticipates that because he sees Ben Simmons get over the screen and he's done his job. So now he has to get back to guard Capella plants. His foot starts running back and then blocks the lob attempt to clink Capella while it's literally the graphic said it was 10.9 feet in the air is where he touched the basketball to block it. <laughs> so they have an ability and I love that you said that their ability to switch even guys like Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris is an underrated defender. He's an underrated piece of this whole team. Like I agree. Would you rather have Jay Crowder or Tobias Harris? I like Jay Crowder a lot, but I'm taking Tobias Harris in that matchup. Tobias Harris dropped 37 and, you know, in round one in this game, like we've seen Tobias Harris have incredible scoring nights. So to me, it's, it just doesn't make sense to kind of lean any other way than to go. I would rather see the Sixers team. Who has Ben Simmons, has Embiid, Danny Green's going to be out for a couple weeks, which definitely sucks. But if you take Danny Green off, well then guess who's coming in? Matisse Thybulle. And yeah. then you're going to let Matisse Thybulle play 30 minutes uh, in a in a playoff game. I I'm mean, excited for that. Like I watching him play defense is more fun than watching most players in the NBA play offense. <laughs> like it's it's unreal how he plays. He's literally Ed Reed. He's a free safety who just finds ways his anticipation, his reads, all of that shit. He's always a step ahead or at least even on step with every single thing that the offensive player does it. And he processes it even faster. So I, I and look, I know I'm, I'm trying really hard to take off the bias <laughs> hat. Cause I'm excited. Hey,
1: me too, man. Me too. Cause you know what's going to have, if we, if Philly wins, I'm going to be going off in the city. I live in Philly downtown. Like oh, I want you, them to win. You know, so I'm coming bad. up
0: for the parade oh you you know of, off. If don't wait till the parade dead.
1: oh if it goes down that point you got to come up here and we got to watch that game here and then we'll be ready for to storm broad street
0: yeah uh, that's it's true wild. i i wasn't in philly when the eagles won the world or when the eagles won the super bowl oh, I, had, I had to come up for the parade oh, so I, dude, maybe, maybe, oh my god i think maybe that's what Christmas we end up doing
1: fire we drank street vodka it was a wild night it was a wild <laughs> night uh
0: but again, even just taking the unbiased hat off, right? And all of this is predicated on the Brooklyn Nets not getting their guys back. Because if Brooklyn's fully healthy, they're beating Philly. I, I, I really do believe that. But if Philly matches up against Milwaukee, I think that's probably a six-game series, and I like the Sixers in six. If if Philly ends up matching up against a banged-up Brooklyn team, you know, without KD and, or without Kyrie, without James Harden, then you know, that I think the Sixers would probably beat that version of Brooklyn, but if two of them are there, I think it's probably a seven game series that could go either way. Um, But yeah, so that's what we have now. We got two games tonight. So by the time people are really listening to this, we'll know whether Philly's up three one and whether the Clippers, even the series or whether Utah's up three one, but it's exciting. Nonetheless, Uh, that was a long first segment, but it was great stuff. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to tackle the world of college football. Uh, there's been a ton of changes in college football right now whether it's nil the transfer portal uh, and and now a college football expansion to the playoffs and i'm going to tell you why that is incredible for college football right after this gonna switch gears now something we've become very custom here on the read option with all the sports gumbo stuff which Uh, I want to give a shout out again. Like, I don't think I can do this enough to anybody who like listens to the podcast regularly because you guys make it that much more fun to do. You know, like I think in a weird twisted weird world, Vito, like we, we not even a weird, like we do this. Like if you and I and Scott are on a zoom call together, We just do the podcast together, whether it's being recorded or not being recorded, you know, like, (laughs) like we just keep doing this stuff. We keep talking about sports. So to know that there are people out there who actually like really enjoy watching it and really enjoy the content. Uh, I got a chance to see family and stuff this weekend for the first time. And, you know, certain friends and people who are like, dude, love the podcast, listen to it here. And, or even like friends of friends who will tell me, yeah, yeah. like I was talking to my buddy, like I was talking, do you remember like our friend James from high school, like Dude, he, he like, listens to the pod like he's a big friend, like a big fan. And, and like just a little stuff like that makes it you know, like so much cooler. And, and uh, I know I, the sports gumbo episodes that I, I like to do a lot, like those ones always seem to do really well because we kind of yeah. just jump from sport to sport. So we're going to keep the spirit of that alive here and and dive into something that is uh, ironically one of the things that I think ties you, me and Scotty together really well, which is our, we all have a love for, of college football you know mm-hmm. and we all kind of come from it from different places you and scotty you know both west coast guys who then made their way to penn state and our big 10 guys even though you have the west coast roots and you like the pac 12 a little bit but you still mm-hmm. just like the sport altogether. i grew up as a in, in suburbs of philly you know you were either a penn state fan or you weren't really a college football fan unless you went to like temple because people just don't really care that much about college football in this in the philadelphia area but because of my job, I've spent the last three years engulfed in college football and working with, you know, former college football players and, and, and coaches and just learning so much about it and the culture behind it. And it's, it truly has become one of my favorite sports. And we're at a a fascinating time when it comes to college football and and college sports as a whole, but in like 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, right? There are going to be these benchmark years, these benchmark summers, these benchmark off seasons where the sport changes. And a lot of times it's conference realignment, right? It's certain rules that get placed. And in this case, we've had, we are staring down the most monumental shift in college sports, in college football that we've ever seen before, just in this off season alone. Name, image, and likeness is now becoming a thing. Players being able to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. Things like doing ads, signing contracts, making deals with their social media, where they can get paid, which used to be illegal under the rules of the NCAA, which is now becoming a a standard across the board. And this summer, July 1st, it's it's free, man. It, It is open country, man. It's open season. For any of these companies that want to be able to go out and do this, places like Open Doors who do specific endorsement deals with athletes have now partnered with Twitter and other social media companies and will help college athletes be able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. We've seen the one-time transfer rule get put into place, which is every single player in college football will be able to transfer one time without penalty for a long time uh, up until this year, you had to sit out a year if you were transferring to another Division I school. If you were going from the FBS to the FCS, you didn't have to sit out for that one right, year. That's right. why schools like JMU and North Dakota State and Sam Houston State and Delaware would get these really good you know, recruits who maybe didn't work out at Ohio State or even smaller schools like UCF or Georgia Tech, you know, and would transfer down to the FCS because they want to be able to play right away, have that immediate eligibility. Well, now you can go from Clemson to Alabama. If you are a, a star at Arkansas, but Arkansas is not living up to the what you thought it was going to be, and you want to go to Ohio, uh, Oklahoma, you can do that. You want to go within the same conference, you can do that. You want to go to the FCS still if you wanted to. You can do that and play right away. And then the, the newest layer to this in this ever coming change of of rules and landscape of college football is expansion college football playoff expansion which it was announced and now that is become publicized even though it isn't official yet college football playoff is going to go to 12 teams which is way way more than i ever would have thought when they made this jump, I thought eight teams would have been the number. That's been the one that everyone kind of goes. I always like the idea of six same, um, but they're going to 12. And right. I actually, I, and I'll, I, I'll start off with you here Vito, And then I'll, I'll kind of react to what you're saying here, but I kind of love this idea of 12 teams. It, it's really, really growing on me as a fan of the FCS, who has usually a 24 team playoff I have seen it firsthand and it's, it's fascinating to watch. What was your reaction last week when this news came out about, Hey, we are expanding. We're going from four teams all the way out to 12. And what do you think it means for college football?
1: So my two thoughts were one, I'm glad it's not eight because Hmm. I I think that there needs to be some reward for the top tier teams. That's why I like six. And I like 12, the top two get a buy or the top four. I'm more on board with that. The second thought is this, again, um, my honest thought is this totally diminishes the regular season even more. This makes it to where you don't even have to make it to your conference championship game and you can get in. This makes it to where teams can um, let's say schedule easier and, and really fly by lose one conference game. Penn state can go and play in, do really well, lose, you know, schedule three honestly bad teams at a conference, play Ohio State and lose, not make the conference championship and end up at number nine and be in the playoffs. What I don't while while there are good reasons for why that, like, you know, Penn State may be Ohio State if they're number three, Penn State may be the number nine, eight team in, in you know, in in the whole nation. What I don't like about it is this was the last American sport that value the regular season this much no other sport professional or amateur values the regular season as much as college football did. And then when they went to 14 playoffs, it diminished a little bit, but that was still okay. Because it was like, listen, we had that year in, in the mid two thousands where there were three undefeated teams, right? We've had those happen before. And it was like, listen, this is a proper response, I think. But what I'm worried about is what it will do to the regular season of college football. And what I hope is this committee and how they approach it, the first year means everything. The first year that we had it when it went to four, Ohio State came in as the four team, number four seed, and yeah. won the whole thing in incredible fashion. Blew up the Big Ten, blew up everybody in, in the playoffs. It was incredible. Um, Zeke was going on. It was a whole thing. It was a two
0: The two-year the with the touchdown pass against Georgia, Alabama, yeah. the four seed.
1: And, and so you have these, these examples of incredible four seeds winning. I am very interested to see when the first four years are capped and it won't happen the first year I'd imagine, but you know, who's actually winning those. Is it the top tier programs? Is it, is it the mm-hmm. one through fours that get the buy? Or is it going to be someone coming up through that, that the lower seeds? Now, I can tell you what, for from a fan in terms of a gambling perspective, I'm all in. This is going to be so much goddamn fun. <laughs> that's in, just in a terms, viewer, too. Yeah. Right? In terms of like bowl season, the rest of the bowls now are even more diminished, but that that happens. That's that's the way this goes, right? The yeah. money is in the big playoff bowl games. Um, and and they'll still be proper bowls, right? They're going to be big bowls that, that they're going to use, but I, I think I'm a little hesitant. And again, it's it's this, um, Back in my day, I remember in the regular season, you lost one game, you didn't have the right to a national championship bid, right? All that stuff, kind of. And I'm worried that we're getting away from that. Again, I I follow European soccer. Every game means the same. There's no playoffs. This was the last sport in America I really feel like valued the same thing and um, where it meant so much. But it's going away, and you know what? I love football. I love the NFL playoffs, so I don't know why I'm so opposed. I love Division II playoffs as
0: well. Mm -hmm. And I
1: think on the that's, that's honestly, FCS, me, sorry. Of,
0: give us some, give us some credit. All right. We're not D2. Sorry. We're D1 double I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. That, that's no, totally my bad. No, i But I'm they also kidding. have some players, but uh,
1: what, what's, what's, that's a glass half empty. Look almost glass half full is everyone knows the difference between you even said the NBA playoffs are amazing, but the electricity of, of the NCAA tournament for college basketball is insane. Playoffs yep. for the NFL are amazing, right? It's so fun. Playoffs for NCAA football are going to be fucking incredible. Like Mm -hmm. more teams, more weeks, more games, the matchups. It's going to be so much goddamn fun. I can't wait. So I'm totally split internally. Half the time I'm angry. Half the
0: time I'm rejoicing. How are you feeling about it? Well, I would add to that too, in terms of the electricity factor, is that there's going to be home playoff games. Where teams are hosting playoff games at their universities, it's not all. The first round is not is going to be is not going to be neutral site. It's going to be you're going to you know Florida's the higher ranked team or, or Wisconsin, Florida, right? Florida's right. the lower ranked team. Florida's now got to travel to Wisconsin in the winter to play a, a playoff game. How that's- incredible, like that's going to be unbelievable? Here's the question I would ask for you, Vito, because I understand the argument of it waters down the regular season. And college football has this, I'm not saying you're doing this, but as someone who interacts with a lot of college football fans, it's almost this like weird, like elitism, like our regular season matters. It's just the the top four. It was the top two, but now it's the top four teams get there, right? Would you rather have a, a watered down version of the regular season and more parody or less parody and the regular season means more? because what this is going to allow for guys to do between this and the one time transfer rule is that every team the penn states right penn state sneaks in as a 9 seed even though hey you know what they lost to ohio state but that was only their second loss of the season you know maybe they lost one to michigan state or something else earlier but they're still 10 and 2 at the end of the regular season and they're they're the ninth ranked team in the country they have something to play for It's giving guys an incentive. And when it comes to recruiting, you can tell your recruits, you have a chance to come in and win a national championship. It's hard to make that case right now, based off of the last seven years of college football to (laughs) recruits, unless you are Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, or Ohio state. If you're not one of those four teams and maybe throw in Georgia there too, you cannot make that claim to recruits. You can't make that claim to transfers. And now that you have to kind of recruit transfers just as much as you're recruiting recruits, it's going to open the door for far more parity. And look in the first few years and probably the first 10 years is Alabama still going to win more. Is Clemson still going to win more? Is Oklahoma still going to win more? Yeah. Ohio state, those schools probably will, but we will have a team. We will have a Cincinnati. We'll have a UCF. We'll have a Houston that will make a run to the to the final four, even right. And, and, that to me increases the value because to them in all the group of five schools, the regular season is still gonna have to be important. They're gonna have to be undefeated or maybe have one loss in yeah. order to get there. The conference championships, that is the one thing that'll get watered down that I'm a little bit bummed about. But if let's say a year Penn State, you're going up against Ohio State, you're both 10 and one, or you're both not, you know, nine and one or whatever, and you're going into that game, the winner's gonna get a top four seed, the loser's gonna not. You're right. playing for it's home field advantage in the first round. You're paying for a buy. You're playing for something there. So there is still going to be incentive. Here. It's just, for me, parity is a bigger issue in college football than being worried about is the regular season going to get watered down or not.
1: So this is a very interesting point because I think why it didn't matter for so long, people knew like, all right, you have, you go undefeated, you have a shot at the championship, but bowl games were a bigger, Hey, we won this prestigious bowl game. We got invited to this bowl game. We get to go travel and do that. And I think what you're saying is an interesting point. It's changing from this is a big bowl game. You know, you're getting a chance to, Hey, you go upset this team on their home turf and you make it into that top eight. Then you maybe win you make it to the top four. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see I've been the biggest proponent and my friends fucking hate me for it of Boise back in the day. Should have gotten a shot undefeated. Mm-hmm. I think going undefeated at any level is so incredibly hard mentally and physically, and your team has to be healthy and the coaching has to be right. It's it's an organizational, yeah, like um, I guess the UCF mentality team
0: right in 2017.
1: Yes. So those are the teams I can't wait to see have a shot against a team that is number six, right? Let's say they're number 11 and they play number six. It's like, you know what? They could probably fucking beat a number six or at least have a good shot. And that's what I can't wait to watch. Those are the games that make me so excited for this, that are those electric moments that we can't wait when a guy gets a kick return for a touchdown on like, you know, in the fourth quarter to all of a sudden momentum shifts, they pull off an upset and then they go play Oklahoma, who's number two. And then they get the upset there somehow. And then all of a sudden they're against Bama. And it's wild. Like those are the storylines that'll make this all worth it.
0: And and people will look at that and go, yeah, but I don't want Cincinnati to win a national championship or UCF Mm. or Houston or Boise State. And to that, I say, look at the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we have the VCU's and the uh, uh, the Chicago Chicago Loyola teams, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, we have these George Masons who make Cinderella runs to the Final Four. The only true Cinderella, quote unquote, to win a national championship was the '85 uh, Villanova team. Yeah, you know, even like the Butler team that lost in the national championship against Duke, right? Like they were a ten seed or a six seed or whatever when they got to that game, and that game was historically considered one of the worst championship games ever but gordon hayward still almost banked that shot in to win the whole thing anyway right from half court so like if that had gone in that would have become the single most iconic play in college sports history butler winning a national title on a half court bank shot from a guy who goes on to be a good nba player to beat duke and coach k that would have been incredible for college basketball for college sports in general and again that's never really happened so i'm not necessarily worried about like hey like could UCF actually go win the title? But to them, it's, hey, you know what? We got a shot. Because yeah. you know that football player mentality. Hey, any given Saturday, any given Sunday, any given day, you're going up there. Any team can win when you step out on that field. But it gives the Penn States who, like, you know, the, and you know this as well as anybody. The year that Penn State beat Ohio State and then gets left out of the college football playoff. Penn State was as deserving, but they got – the shit kicked out of them by was it Iowa or it was Michigan early. We, we got our That's it was. It was Michigan, right?
1: But, like, but I think on that point, it's interesting because it goes back to the point of what, what happens in the regular season here, because I agree with you. We were hot as ever. We won out so many games. We went on a huge winning streak from that year on to the next year. But again, what this will do is value late runs in what happens. So Ohio State barely got in that four seed when it first happened and they they were hot as ever, ever and yeah. they ran and beat everybody. I think we're going to get to see a couple teams that are lower seeds. and That's what I'm saying. In the first four or five years of this, I can't wait to look back and see what happens. And yeah. I also think, to your point, the transfer rule in accordance with this, when you have guys who have been in Bama on the practice squad for three seasons or backups for three seasons and you're like, okay, I'm an elite receiver, but five receivers ahead of me have gotten drafted in the last two years in the first round. Uh, I'm going to go somewhere where I can play yeah. and I'm also a star yeah. and I'm going to go transfer to a, um, uh, even a USC, which is crazy that they've fallen so far from yeah, or, an or, an, Isfair, or an right? Oregon.
0: Right. Yeah, you know? And I'm
1: going to go out there and I'm going to give it my all and we're going to make it to the playoffs and I'm going to go get revenge on my team. Like yeah. the, the storylines are going to be deeper. And, and I'm a little worried about the free agency aspect. I think it's going to turn in. I, I hope, um, it does not turn into a feeding frenzy. And I hope that um, college players are able to make right decisions for them and don't get swooped up into a story from this team, a story from that team. I don't care. I'll go try the school out because I have a free transfer. Yeah. But what I do hope it does is allows players who go to a school for a coach, the coach either leaves because he gets a new job or gets fired they're able to, to make moves that are in their
0: best Yeah, because if coach if coaches are able to leave and you signed up to go play for that guy for four years why why how is that fair because now you're like oh well this guy left and now i don't get to go play for the coach that came here the other how part many, of this how many
1: how many players do you think will go with coaches now though like is that going to be a big deal like
0: it, how is that
1: gonna affect
0: i'm a, i am a little worried about it for the for like the group of five schools. I'm very yes. worried about it for, for the FCS schools. I mean, I've noticed it just now that this, in this first year that guys can transfer, mm-hmm. you know, JMU landed a, a cornerback, Sean Wade from, uh, not Sean Wade, different guy, uh, Q Reed, who was a Ohio state cornerback. They had a running backs in back-to-back years who came from UCF. Uh, they've had defensive linemen come from the university of Virginia. You know, they've gotten guys from really good programs to transfer Virginia tech to, to transfer to James Madison. And now that, you know, guys can go to a Cincinnati instead, or can go to a, a Houston or some of these higher level group of five schools. You know, what does that mean for, you know, the FCS levels? Cause the, the top ranked transfer that Jamie you had this year was a D lineman from army, which like, Hey, that's, that's still good. But that's a pretty steep drop off from getting guys like Rondell Carter, who, you know, transferred here from UVA, who ended up being one of the best defensive linemen in all of the FCS last year. But at the group of five level, your top level programs are going to be able to kind of pick off certain guys. You know, some guys may have gotten to a big school and realized, Hey, you know, that's not for me, but to what you were saying about the whole free agency thing. And, and there is a dark underbelly to college football, that college football fans, intentionally choose not to believe exists they would rather believe that it's all above board that it's just about recruiting it's just their coach is that much better I was talking to a former first round draft pick and quarterback in college today who told me that when he was choosing schools LSU offered him and his family jobs for his parents and a significant amount of money and his dad said you're not going there and he played in the the he got recruited in 2008, right? So that was in 2008. We just saw Jeremy Pruitt get busted for giving out bags of McDonald's cash, right? And that's where some of the name image and likeness stuff will kind of help bring some of this above board. Yes, there is, you know, there are SEC schools who. There is literally a tiered system, which is if you are a five-star recruit, you will get this much money. If you are a four-star recruit, you will get this much money to come here. All of that stuff exists. It's all 1,000% real. I've heard it directly from the horse's mouth. I've heard it from coaches. I've heard it secondhand from guys who have had off-the-record conversations with guys, and I'm not going to divulge any names, but know that that shit exists. And what I think part of the problem is is it's similar to – What we're seeing in baseball right now with the spider tack stuff, the stuff that guys are putting on their fingers to be able to get extra spin. It's what we saw in cycling with Lance Armstrong and and the steroid era in baseball and in cycling. When everybody's cheating, everybody is going to try to one-up each other until it gets so ingrained in the culture and in the fabric of that sport that there is no other choice than to embrace it fully. And what I like about this idea of, hey, we need to combat, par- we need to promote parity, is that it will devalue the idea of, hey, I want to go to an Alabama or an LSU or one of these high end schools who might be paying more than other schools because they have a chance to go play for a national championship, which is so many guys get drafted because they get a chance. Look at a guy, perfect example Corey Davis at Western Michigan. When I mean, Corey Davis is at Western Michigan playing for the Broncos, They were, they finished the season as the number six team in the country. They lost to Wisconsin in the New Year's Day six bowl as the group of five representative from the MAC. He ended up being a top 10 draft pick at wide receiver. He probably would have been a first rounder, maybe a second rounder if if that team wasn't good. Imagine if he was the only really good player on that Western Michigan team. He could have ended up being a diamond in the rough, but because the team was good and he got a big bowl game and their team was, you know, being shown across you know, ESPN every single week, he got more notoriety. He got more TV time and therefore he worked his profile up to being a first round pick in, in valuing parody will help. I think, and hope this inequitable and this kind of a dark underbelly of college football recruiting to, Kind of discourage de- de- that, you know, to try to disincentivize that. To say you have a chance now to go get that same notoriety playing at Cincinnati or even playing at a Michigan State or, or a Georgia Tech, you know, who might get a good team one year. Or like, think about the Oklahoma State team, right? You yeah. know that that was you know kind of screwed out of a national championship appearance with with Brandon Whedon and and James Blackman. You know, like having those things, I think, will only help college football. And the sacrifice of that is, yeah, the regular season is going to be more watered down. There's going to be other sides of it that are more, you know, kind of watered down. But the free agent side, free agency side of it, I get is concerning. But and this this ties hand in hand with the name, image, and likeness stuff. It is unAmerican to say that somebody can't be allowed to profit off of their name, their image, and their likeness. <laughs> that's right. That's, I agree. with Like, let's start there. Yeah. You know, like, like, like we're talking about like, and again, you sign up to go play for a coach and he's allowed to leave, but you're not because you're supposed to be the more mature one. And just you signed a contract like, yeah, well, with the school, Okay, yeah, here's fucking Lincoln, co- Lincoln Riley signed a contract to be coached. You know, like all these yeah. guys send contracts to be other places and then leave to go be coaches somewhere else. Like if they're allowed to do that, we're not holding the coaches to that standard. How the hell can we expect 18 year old kids and say like, oh yeah, they can do it. But no, you can't. Right. No, it's that, that's, it's absurd. Yeah. You get one shot. You don't want to have unlimited transfers. Cause then it's going to be guys that are just not const, yep. constantly blaming their coaches, constantly blaming these places and saying like, Oh, it was, it's not me. It's them. Like there is a certain level of personal accountability that players need to be able to have, but you have to give them the chance to do it at least once.
1: Well, I, I agree. And what I'm, what I'm worried about and something that I saw at Penn state, which not a lot of people will really mention is after like, everything broke with Sandusky, players got a free year of transfer. Now we yeah. only had three players leave. Um, but Silas Red, we had a wide receiver go to Oklahoma and a kicker go out to California. His, he had personal issues, though, be close to his family. So like, I, I think number one, that happens a lot. Personal things happen. You need to be able to go like, to a college close to home. And I think that was a really big example for me where I was like, wow, I never thought about that. Yeah. Number two, coaches had to re recruit everyone on their own team. And I think that's, what's going to be crazy. When a coach comes into a program now, it's not going to be, Hey, what's going on. Some of the players are going to leave. He's got to re-recruit the guys that are there. I think he's also gonna have to figure out his recruiting like angle for new people. And so that's going to, I think what we're going to see is your first class or two classes are not going to be what they were maybe at your new school. It's going to be interesting to see how that develops. I think.
0: Yeah, no, no question. No question. And, but the thing is too, Vito, it's like, how many people do you know who you knew freshman year at Penn State who then realized, hey, you know what? Like I thought I wanted to go to this school, and now that I've been here for a year, I'm really not happy here, and and I'm really not okay being this far from home, or I'm really not okay. You know, there was a, a tackle for Virginia Tech uh, last summer who applied to transfer to. I want to say it was like Old Dominion. It was an, it was another school, but he wanted to, or it was, it might have been William and Mary to Virginia Tech. I forget what it, I forget all of the details, but basically his dad was battling cancer. Right. And he and he just wanted to be closer to his family. And when we saw guys like Justin Fields get free passes, and look what Justin Fields had to deal with in Georgia was shitty and dramatic, and he deserved to be able to leave if he wanted to be able to leave. The NCAA denied this kid from being able to transfer. And yeah. and and because there is a certain limit in terms of how many miles you can go from one school to another. And it was 10 miles. It was 10 miles outside of the zone for that reason. And the NCAA said, no, that is unacceptable. That is unacceptable. That is as a human being. That is unacceptable. And so giving these guys an opportunity to do that once, whether they think, Hey, you know what? I wanted to go to Alabama. I'm not happy here. I don't like the coach. I don't like Nick Saban. I don't like the way things are done here. I want to go figure out something else. And look, are there going to be 19 year old kids who make it the wrong decision? Yes. But uh, yeah, but how un-American. many 19 year
1: old decisions do we all know make the wrong decisions? First of all. And second of all, I agree with what you're saying here. It, you, you need to be able, my, my point in saying that was, listen, I've seen this free agency quote unquote that everyone's really worried about. And the point is, is that not a lot of people left, like it with a new coach coming in with, it was Bill O'Brien's a whole different thing. But at the same point, I really do believe that most kids are going to stick at schools. Most kids are going to see it out They're yeah. Like you said, they're just like us. They have friends there. They want to, they want to actually make the team. They, they, they feel the, brotherhood or sisterhood if it's a woman's sport and they're, they're looking at what, what's going on because because yeah. this is going to have a, a trickling effect on a lot of their sports mm-hmm. down, down the line here. But anyway, I, I do believe that this is a, a good decision again because you never know what's going on in someone's personal life. Give them some flexibility. They're earning you enough money to be able to give them that.
0: Again, and it's it's literally un-American to say that you cannot do that, that you cannot have the liberty to do that, that you cannot make money off of your name, image, and likeness. We're supposed to be the country of capitalism. We're supposed to be the country that says, hey, if you can make money, if you can make a living off of something, you should be able to do it. And the big thing with the name, image, and likeness stuff is the, pri- the primary benefactor of that isn't going to be the, wide, the, the second wide receiver at Oklahoma, the, even the best wide receiver at Oklahoma. It's going to be the, the women's sports. Because the primary source of revenue from name image and like this is going to come from social media. And if you look, they did an awesome graphic about how many followers the best women's basketball players had and the best men's basketball players had uh, during the tournament. And the top 10 women dwarfed the number of followers that, you know, Paige Bucher, right? The, the, the guard yeah. from UConn, she has like over a million followers on Instagram. If she wants to, she could profit a lot. Like we're talking about like $100,000 deals for these kids. And there's a whole nother secondary argument to this, which is like, well, how is that going to affect the locker room when one person's making a ton of money and the other person's making nothing. But it's also going to do things like, I remember talking to Danny Cannell about this. And he was like, and this was like an off air thing, but you know, actually no, it was on air, but it's statute of limitations have gone, have passed on this where he said, like I would go down to a steakhouse in, uh in, florida in tallahassee right and he's like i would want to treat my offensive lineman at the end of the year because he was a quarterback he's like i want to treat my offensive lineman he's like we go to this nice steakhouse and i knew i could go there because the owner of it would at the end of the day he would give me a check and the check would be for ten dollars but it would be a full steak dinner for everybody there technically right. under the way that the rules are are written even though it was you know they he paid some sort of currency or whatever like that was considered an improper benefit because they got such a steep discount on it. But the reason that that is a good thing is it, it spits in the face of the idea of like, Oh, are these guys not going to be able to handle a locker room dynamic? Because now you're going to be able to do stuff like that.
1: Your quarterback
0: can go treat his offensive lineman to a a set of watches to, you know, to a a nice steak dinner to say, thank you. Like there's going to be family. Yeah.
1: There are things that people are elite college athletes that don't make a pro and I, I, I've always believed that they should at least be able to stockpile that money, give it to them when they graduate, whatever it is. But, but people need that. That's why you see people go pro a year earlier than they probably should because they have family needs. And, and yeah, I, I'm excited for that. I, I am excited for the amount of change that we're seeing. I think it, like any other human being, when this much change comes, you can look at it negatively or positively take a side, whichever side you're on flip and look at the other recognize what's going on because It's
0: going to be reality, whether you like it or not. No question. No question. I think we, I think we hit I think we hit it all. We hit the the expansion, hit the transfers. We hit the NIL there at the end. Uh, We're going to get into a lot more college football stuff as we get closer to college football season. I'm really excited to continue this conversation to continue just talking about the on the field stuff, because as someone who works in college football and college sports media, like, all we talk about is name, image, and likeness. All we talk about is transfer portal and now this expansion stuff. And it's, I, I am always so ready by the time. And like right now, it's still, obviously, there's a lot to talk about. But once you actually like, all right, training camp, you get your media days, oh. and then all of a sudden that week zero hits, and you're like, boom, we're ready. Yeah. It's the unofficial kickoff of football, either that or the hall of fame game. What of those, whichever one comes first is I consider is like the unofficial. I think the hall of fame game the does, hall but that one, game, yeah. but that one is like, it doesn't feel like well, last it, year and they pushed preseason. it, it wasn't yeah, in it Canton
1: because they were redoing the stadium. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm gonna be tracking, I'll be but at that. Week, I can't. Week wait.
0: zero is when it feels real. You know, it's like almost like the appetizer is your, you know, the Hall of Fame game in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And then that week zero in college football is really when you're like, all right, like we're we're back. And and by the way, week one matchups in college football, Clemson, Georgia, week one, you got Oregon, Ohio State, week one. There are some killer matchups and i can't wait i'm so stoked uh let's take a quick break we're gonna come back we're gonna wrap up the show a little bit different than we have like i said at the top uh we're talking wedding seasons and uh, a comedy special on netflix that you have to see if you haven't yet so we'll be right back to wrap up the show talking about a little bit of the real world outside of the world of sports all right, we're back. Going to close up the show. Like I said, a little bit differently. Um, I was up in your neck of the woods this past weekend, Vito. Did mm-hmm. not get a chance to see you, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know if you're real yet. <laughs> I might just we be have a, not met. <laughs> I'm just a figment in your imagination. You're you're secretly in an insane asylum, thinking that you're doing a podcast with somebody.
1: You're my Tyler Durden, man. <laughs>
0: you're looking in a, you're looking in a mirror like talking to yourself the skyscraper <laughs> you're building is actually just like lincoln logs that you've been building on. Top.
1: <laughs> oh uh, god
0: but the reason i was up in philly was because of my my lovely sister is getting married this summer she was supposed to get married uh in 2020 they pushed the wedding back and she's getting married to one of your best friends from college, who is my future brother-in-law and, and one of my best friends, Mr. Kenny, Kenny boy, and, um, Kenny boy shouts to, to him and his, his, younger brother, Derek, and got to see a bunch of family, got to do a bunch of really fun stuff. But it, honestly, I was thinking a lot about this while I was up there and I I enjoy weddings. Right. So I'm not coming at this as like, Oh, are you, do, are you telling me or right not? You don't like going like everyone likes going to weddings, but this whole wedding culture is so fascinating to me because if you really want to get like deep with it, right. You can trace it all the way back to like the religious ties in our world. Right. And how mm-hmm. Catholicism has been such a dominating force and all that. And I'm not even trying to go into the pop, the religious side of it. I'm just saying, if you want to trace it back to its roots, like that's how it started, but now it's become such a, a part of our pop culture. It's become a part of our just human societal culture. And I find myself always saying, like, doesn't it seem like a little much? <laughs> like, like, doesn't it seem like a little bit much? Like, don't get me wrong. I get it. I, and, like, I think every, every girl who wants – and I don't mean to just pick women, but, like, women – have their wedding showers and and it's going to be these incredible things you have all of the women in both sides of your family and your friends and they all come up to this thing and they support you and it's a beautiful thing because everyone deserves to feel like they have their day if mm-hmm. getting married like matters to you but like with the pandemic and like climate change and all this stuff like i have a lot of these kind of inner thoughts about like getting married or like whether or not when i have kids and and these kinds of things And like what's the world going to be like in 20 years because we just frankly we just don't know what, what it's all going to kind of look like or be like or, or how anything's really going to necessarily go and i find myself always fascinated it's like people spend hours on hours and i give my sister all the credit in the world because she younger amy would have been like a total bridezilla <laughs> but the version of her now is like cool go with the flow because they've, awesome. they've been dating for almost 12 years you know yeah. they, it'll be 12 years in october so it's like they've been together for so long before getting married that's like this is just signing the paperwork and we're gonna have a baller ass party to celebrate it yeah you know? but like they have to go to a church to talk to a, a priest who's gonna talk to them about stuff even though neither one of them is like insanely religious right and so right as and again i this is the first wedding that i've been in so as someone who's as i've recently learned officiated weddings
1: yeah <laughs> as okay <well> as <laughs> been
0: in them i i need i need like a bounce i need a backboard here i need someone to go back and forth this on this like we're at the freaking french open we're in rolling Garros right now but we're talking about weddings am i am i being a cynical asshole by saying like you know maybe this is a bit much
1: Well, I think there's a couple things to dive into. One, because of COVID, everything pushed to the summer. We're getting a lot of stacked up things and people are over planning weddings. They're over all these events. And and I think what's interesting that you noted and something that I've seen as an ordained minister, first of all, real quick, I got ordained a minister because I got mono my junior year in college and was like, what can I do online? And it was like ordained minister. Perfect. I used to marry my friends when they were drunk. It was a whole joke. We, we just had fun with it. Right. I got some marriage certificates. I could still ruin a couple people's lives. If I was going to say, what's,
0: what's yeah. <laughs> your hit rate from like annulments compared to actually successful. It breaks marriage? my heart.
1: You know, I do them, but it breaks my heart. It breaks it's my like heart. Three no, point
0: okay. per- it's like a, a, do you shoot 40% from three? Like, a, is it like, what's the benchmark? What's the Mendoza line for that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No. So, so I've done a lot of that in college, but then what happened was my friends wanted to get married. Um, my friends actually who are getting married this Friday, I'm going to the, their uh, wedding. I married them legally uh, in, in this past uh, New Year's Eve. It was December 31st and we went wow. to a park and they just wanted to get it over with. And yeah. a lot of people are having a sentiment. And like you said, a lot of people are going to um, churches or uh, where they might not even be that religion or they may not even be that um, devoted, but they feel the need to do that. So what's interesting on my part is I I now have, after that, that one in, in, on December 31st, Carrie and Chris shout out, they're awesome. Um, they like, I have three now I have three more weddings coming up, including my sister and two other couples. And they're just like, we don't want to go through that process. You know, us, you know, that we're good uh, as a relationship. And, And also what's really nice is it's another way to get someone in the, um, almost the party that, isn't normally there like i wouldn't necessarily be a groomsman in one of these weddings but i'm very close to like I'm, i'm marrying my friends kaylee and rob me and kaylee have been best friends since college i've known her for 10 12 years and we've been tight we've lived through all my moves and all of her moves we've moved together so you're close to people you get them and you get to marry them and it's so cool but it's not like um any added Groomsman or whatever and it's also very relaxed let's get through the ceremony and let's go have a party and yeah. that's the vibe recently so the wedding season is a lot different um at least from my perspective but what do you think about like the amount of weddings and so you, this is your first one you're going to be in so are you yeah. ready for like there's going to be this time of of pictures and all that stuff, and and you got to be somewhat kind of soberish to get getting some photos. <laughs> how how is it planning out for you? Like, how are you feeling about weddings this summer in general? Have you had friends getting married yet, or is it just so kind of your it, sister
0: right now? So it's funny, right? So I was I was an usher in a wedding, but like I was really good friends with the group with the groom, and he it was basically his way of being like, hey, and, and I should preface it by saying this when he proposed they kind of already had their wedding party picked out because they knew they were going to get married. So they got engaged in college and he used the wedding party in the proposal. So it was one of those deals where it was like they were all kind of set. But then a year and a half later when they actually got married, some of the guys he picked, he wasn't really like that tight with anymore. And so he he pulled me and my buddy aside and was like, hey, like, I want you guys to know like you're like, groomsmen in spirit it's just like i kind of dug myself in a hole with this because i used them at the proposal as opposed to waiting until the planning to actually ask and kind of go go through that whole process but what he did do was he because he was originally from california and some of his friends couldn't come out to virginia he asked me and my buddy to plan his bachelor party nice so we were on the bachelor party we planned the whole weekend and it was a ton of fun But as far as actually being in the picture, the nuts and which is like, we got the fun stuff, you know, like I did like they had like one of the old cameras that like the Polaroid cameras. Right. And like everyone came in before the wedding and before they sat down for the ceremony and like you took their picture and like he asked me to do that as an usher. And then my other friend was an usher was like handing out like pamphlets and like, you know, people are going and sitting in their seats. And so like I got the fun stuff and then obviously the bachelor party. We had a great time. But for this wedding, it's much more nuts and bolts. It's my sister. Right. So for her, I'm like, whatever you need, anything right. you need, I'm there. You need, water, you need this. And like, they hire people now to do that shit. I learned the other day, there's a whole business of people who you can pay to be a bridesmaid. And Wait, they're what? like, an, they're like an undercover bridesmaid. And their job is like, like, let's say you have family members who don't get along or like you come from two different areas and maybe you have to worry about like some interactions with people. Their whole job is to, look really nice. They're usually like very beautiful people and they stand up there. They come up with a backstory for your wedding as to how they know you, whether it's from college or from this. And then their whole presence there is to help mitigate some of the like more stressful situations between family members. Wow. Like that is insane, dude. And this this girl has like a six figure business where she does this on the weekends. And she like does it like through social media. And she's like, it's almost like, it's like hitch. Yeah, It's like, you remember the movie Hitch where I like Will Smith is, Hitch. yeah, where he's, it's like that, but for like weddings and your Dude. whole, your whole job is to just make sure that like certain family members don't talk to each other or that, you know, you're just wow. the arm candy. Like it's, yeah. all, and that's part. And again, so I want this to be very clear, very, very clear. When my sister gets married, I'm doing everything to make sure she has the most perfect day possible. And anything that goes wrong, I will, I will fuck anybody up. I will get in the way of that. I am at her beck and call yes. for whatever the hell she needs that day. My parents are going to get super blasted as they should. I'm going to have to be the more responsible. I'm going to just, I'm going to have plenty of beers, but like, I'm going to have to be the one that's pacing myself just in case. Cause I, I want to make sure everything is perfect for my sister. So I get that I'm feeding into this whole idea anyway,
1: but well, I got your back
0: my man but it's the it's the uh, ancillary pieces right okay. it's though it's yes. things like that back well i'm like are we sure Here's we're not taking deal. this too far man
1: like, can i say my deal my deal is the invites and the rsvps yeah okay why are we sending so much snail mail send me an email <laughs> make an event on facebook and if it was me it would be my space you know how i feel about that and why are we Vito's doing this? wedding
0: oh dude it's you get email most- reminders from facebook <laughs>
1: yeah like do you know what i mean why why yeah. are we spending so much money on someone a calligrapher to to write out an invitation just because that's a social pressure of people to do that yeah. my opinion is let's get rid of all of that and and again as an ordained minister anyone listening if you want a minister slash dj i will be your guy i hope <laughs> you know that i can do both um i get a party goddamn going if any Vito, of you, you know me, I was you say, know
0: that you would be the perfect like male groomsmen that someone hires to talk, to do the same thing on the opposite <laughs> side. Like this is a new side career for you, dude. Like this is the Man. side hustle you've been waiting for. Right. I, I, actually, my Through mom's been telling me this. My, my mom's been telling
1: me this since I was like 12. Uh, but the point is, I think that when, when you go to these weddings, the most important part is like you're saying, you got to have the people who's, who it's important for. You're supporting them. You're having a great time. But the ancillary shit, you can't let it get in their way. If there's an issue with something, you resolve it. All that stuff's nice. But I think the most important part is having a good time, making sure they have fun. And what you need to realize, anybody needs to realize at a wedding, the bride and groom, number one, they barely get to eat. You got to make sure they get some food, play some defense on that. Number two, um, one of the most important parts is the cocktail hour. You set the tone in the cocktail hour. Let me tell you why. You get people drunk before they start eating. Then they eat and they're like, wow, I needed to eat. Then they're re- then they're ready to like they have another drink or two during during some speeches. And then all of a sudden you're out. You're dancing. You're having fun. Um, you bring the party up early. Be the first one on the dance floor. Get out mm. there, set a fucking tone. Be aggressive. It's, it's Oh, yeah. It's just like, uh, honestly, you want to relate back to the NFL? It's the O-line. You need to be the O-line. You need to set the tone. You need to set your dominance. And you need to push back on anyone who's saying like, oh, I'm just going to chill and have. No, no. You're going to take that shot. And then we're going to. Oh, and by the way, the whole shots thing at weddings where open bars and bars don't let you don't do shots. do take shots. Uh, tequila on the rocks, please. Mm. Whiskey on the rocks, please. Let me tell you right now. You go up to the bartender and you give him $20 and say, what's your name? This is my name. We're going to be best fucking friends tonight. That's what you need to do immediately. I'm telling you this. I've been to probably like 10, pre-tip. 12 weddings.
0: You got to go with the pre-tip, right? Pre-tip you slide it, you slide the right 21st. Because they're going to
1: remember that. They're going to be yeah. like, this guy hooked it up. The only reason I carry cash at weddings is just for those people. Yeah. That's, that's, I just want to give you my, like word. I'm 29. I know you're younger. You're going to go through this in the next couple of years of friends getting married more and more well, and, and then more. I've had,
0: I've, I've had multiple cousins get married. Like I come from a big family and a lot of the, within but pre-COVID we had had like four weddings in the span of like three years like and I had friends getting married like I'd started I went from going to like I hadn't been to a wedding since I was like 12 to mm-hmm. then like all of a sudden I was in I, I went to like four or five weddings in like a three-year stretch which as I continue to get older and then like my friends are the ones that are actually getting married as opposed to being like you know like Family members or whatever, you know, like. But I went to like three friends of mine of college who got married right out of college. Like mm-hmm. went to three of them, and then I had three cousins get married. So it was like six weddings in like a two three year stretch, and all of them all of them were a blast. Like I had a I had a great time. I'm not anti wedding. I'm not anti you know having a good time. Like wow. I, it's just it's the stress that gets put on the couple. Yes. Right. Because that whole day is is like they don't get to enjoy that day. That's why you. They literally that day is so stressful and everything that leads into it. That you literally have to give yourself a vacation afterwards with the honeymoon. Like think (laughs) like think about that. Like I I don't. It's so much work that you literally have to give yourself a vacation after the day that you get married. And so I'm a proponent. And this look, everyone has their own thing. If you want the big, beautiful wedding, honey, do your shit. But then you see people are paying like. $70,000 for a wedding. And you're like, you could put that money towards a house. You know, if you're if your parents are helping you pay for that, to ask for the blank check and go to the, down to the courthouse like I'm cool with that and then throw a fucking banger take 10 grand of that and then to put on the best party that you can think of and right. that that party will be just as much fun without all the added pressure but we have these things in socially where it's like you got to go see your family and you got to see friends and you got to go glad hand everybody and make the awkward rounds you're like oh thank you for coming because then think about think about this video right like we've both been to weddings you've been to more than me. But think about how exhausting, because this is something that we haven't had to do. As the person getting married, going to 200 different people, right? 200 people is like a, a relatively mid sized wedding, yes. I feel like. It's probably a little yeah. on the bigger side, but it's a no, relatively mid sized wedding. I think that's mid sized. Mid-size. Right? Yeah. Imagine going to 200 people and saying the same. Fucking thing! Not to mention, and you probably don't know
1: fifty of them because their family or f- like thirty of them. Their the extended family.
0: Your parents are like, "Hey, make sure you have to invite these people. You yep. have to invite these people." And so that's the part of the wedding industry where I'm like, "Isn't there a way that we can streamline this a little bit? That we can kind of make it easier, or whatever?" Because I just feel like there's such a, an, an aggressive amount of pressure that gets added because of weddings, and the end result is always a ton of fun. It's always a great thing, but I, I'm always, I just. I, I've had so many of these like little random thoughts about it. And again, for my sister, don't tell me fucking shit. Whatever she wants, whatever she wants that day, she's fucking. Oh, getting. dude, I got I two sisters. Sh- I yeah. know.
1: Two of them have been married. Been a, I mean, that's been a blast. Uh, One of them I'm going to marry here. Then she's getting married in Italy. Shout out Courtney and Luigi. Of course, his name's Luigi. He's from Italy. <laughs> um, she's, they're getting married. Is this is best get man, Mario. Fall. Please yeah, tell me he, he has a best uncle. His uncle is Mario. So we will, we will have that covered. I'll get the picture. We'll make sure we, we post it. Um, right. but no, I, I can't wait for, for all that stuff. I think the number one thing to remember is every person's two things to remember. Number one, if you can get in, like I did with, with Kenny and Scott, like there are some, some very good avenues mm-hmm. where you're on the bachelor party, but you're not. In the groom's in party, the like you're party. not in the wedding party. Yeah, that's Elite. like what
0: mine was. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's a great, the experience. best
1: situation. You get to go to the bachelor party, you get to party. They all go to you get to pictures. go. You, get,
0: you also are in that group that gets to hang for the after party. Yes, you hang beforehand. You go.
1: You set. If you're in that group, you better goddamn set the the tone for the cocktail hour because everyone else is coming from pictures and they want everyone else to be drunk so they can just yeah. let loose.
0: And Amy's going to. Amy's done an amazing job, dude. Like, for, literally, from the the trolley thing, bus, that whatever, it's taking us from mm-hmm. the church to the ceremony or to the reception is going to have like drinks and shit on it. So, like, she Amy has planned this thing out to because she's always been she's been in been in so many weddings, she knows all those pitfalls. Like, and Amy's dope. Right? Amy's oh. just a dope human being, objectively. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it's gonna be a good time oh yeah Um, we're gonna gonna have a blast uh, we're gonna have a blast last last thing about weddings that I want to talk about uh the Bo Burnham special then we'll get out of here um wedding bands are far superior and 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 I get the DJ part of it but and and this might be like just as someone who's a musician like as someone appreciates it a live band a live cover band who's good like you do your research you find a good one you know like Amy's band do you know the you know the movie that thing you do no, it was a Tom Hanks movie in the nineties. It's about a, it's about a band in the sixties who writes a song blows up. There's a song from it that it's called that thing you do is, is the name of the song. Okay. When she was going through bands, she was like, I love this band. And guess what? That thing you do is already on their list of songs that they play. So it's like, boom, write it off, done. And then when that when that comes on and my dad and my mom and my sister and the four of us like look at each other, it's going to be the four of us on the dance floor and Kenny screaming that thing you do at the top of our lungs having just an absolute ball. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. Wedding band, a good wedding band. Now there are bad good wedding, bands, wedding band, But a good and wedding band trumps anything else. It's not- And not I don't even, even mind, yeah,
1: I don't even mind a wedding band that goes into a DJ set later, but you need the wedding band there for most of it. If you're going to have a long wedding, like I've had some people We'll do afternoon weddings and yeah. it's like all right band performance for like two hours then you go to a dj for like an hour or two yeah get it
0: yeah but which honestly here's what i would doubt, do you need the energy you here's what i energy. would do right wedding band for two hours and then give me an aux cord give me give yeah, me exactly a, give me an aux like, cord. Now we're turning <laughs> me, up yeah
1: yeah because L- let's get the, the first bus grandma great to see you aunt sherry get out of here we're turning the fuck up now and here's like i don't some, even need a some- dj
0: Crazy, shit I got you. No, my Spotify playlist is going to be better than for my wedding. My Spotify playlist is going to be better than anything any DJ is going to play. So, for oh, the last two hours, I will have it,
1: complete control. If I ever get married, I will have complete control over the last hour of that playlist. Yeah, well, that's I mean, with
0: the only thing life, I would want, yeah, yeah the it. only thing that because I'm of that thing too. It's like if I end up getting married and having a big wedding or anything like that, like I don't care at all, I don't care about flower arrangements. You want my opinion? I'll give my opinion. I'm not going to push back if you want to go something else. Like yeah. I'll give my opinion to, to so that way she feels like you're engaged in it, yeah. you know, cause that's obviously a big part of it. Give your opinion. So she feels like you're engaged to, to the whole process of it, but whatever she, at the end of the day, whatever she wants, like that's what I want. I want her to have her, her perfect wedding point out. I'm really good at playing the devil's advocate, playing like, a I right, Like, you know, this, this food was pretty good, but you know, so was this one. Like, which one were you, were you leaning on? Like, I said, I don't want know? the salmon. Yeah. <laughs> but cool. So all you get all the salmon you want, babe. That's all. That's all you fucking need. So like five times, but I will with my future wife <laughs> make a playlist together on Spotify. Yes. yes. That is both mutually down because music compatibility is a big thing. I think in, you know, in my future partner, I want to be able to have music compatibility and, Agreed. and then, and you go on from there. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. Um, last thing here in our, in yes. our little life talk section of the pod, uh, you and I both watch. There's a new Bo Burnham special on. And this is a hard left turn, by the way. But yeah, there's a, there's a new um, new special on Netflix that came out a couple of weeks ago. Is Bo Burnham, who uh, is an incredible comedian, incredible artist, just in general. Yes. He's a musical comedian. He's he started on YouTube when he was like six, 16 years old. Yeah, I was I watching mean, his videos when I was in seventh grade, 2008. Right. It was early
1: YouTube. It was early YouTube. Yes, it was. So he was in that first kind of
0: set. He is a absolute brilliant human being. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't gotten a chance to to watch it, this would be the point where I tell you spoilers. And if you if you want to go watch it, I said go watch it. Stop what you're doing right now. Watch it before you go to bed tonight because it's incredible. Um, but I'm gonna I just want to give that and listen
1: to our commentary the, tomorrow because yeah, this this is going to have called, some
0: spoilers in it. Yep, it's called in it's called Inside by Bo Burnham, um, mm-hmm. and it is absolute fucking genius. The, the entire thing is, is beyond incredible. I mean, he, he's a musical comedian, right? So he writes a lot of really, really funny songs. But the whole premise of this special was when the pandemic started, he, it was a couple of months beforehand, he, he'd taken a break from performing live. And uh, it's been about five years since his last uh, Netflix special. And he said at the beginning of 2020, he had this thought of like, you know what? Like I've taken care of my mental health because he was having like anxiety attacks and he wanted the opportunity to go out and and watch, uh, go back out and and perform for people. And then the pandemic happened. So he then decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to go into the studio that I have in, in his house and I'm going to make a a a comedy special that is entirely filmed in this one room and he started right at the beginning of the pandemic it took him over a year to put everything together over a year to do everything that is involved in this whole process and it truly was an unbelievable like project from start to finish i mean the music in it is incredible super catchy Mm -hmm. it's super funny but the commentary Mm -hmm. on what the pandemic has done to people. And for him, he did a great job of showing what the pandemic has done to everybody, but through the context of him specifically, which is the, because we all experience this differently, right? We all had our different trials and tribulations trying to get through what it's like to now live in a world where you can't go places and you have to stay inside and, 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 you know, hence the name inside. And, and for him, he showed that, but through the lens of how he, as a, performer as a comedian as an artist has to figure out how to do this and it was incredibly relatable it you know he was so vulnerable with scenes in which he was breaking down from his mental health like to the point where he's crying on you know in in camera and just how much it it really was a, a torture for him in a lot of ways to put this kind of things up he's a tortured soul my sister put it best he's too smart for his own good yes what was your main takeaway from that whole special because i thought it was the best thing i've watched uh honestly probably throughout all of the pandemic i i I genuinely think it was up there with anything that i saw
1: i said since the last dance it was the best thing i had seen um but i I think for me what it was and and honestly shouts your sister amy because me and her and kenny have talked about bo burnham a a lot before this and I think he's always been able to put on incredible shows. He's always been a very intellectual person that has done comedy. Um, Most, most successful comedians are very intellectual. I mean, look at Dave Chappelle, I mean, it's just the way it is, but the way he approaches it um, is very unique because I think he, you know, from my standpoint, he's a year older than me. And he, I grew up watching him on YouTube and I was in calculus when he was doing math jokes on youtube Uh, then i I got to the next level yeah and and exactly and and you start seeing some performances throughout the years but then you realize like he um you said he's very intelligent what this special did to me was realize that um again he locked himself inside this almost like one bedroom one room with a little kitchen on the side and yeah. did this whole special slept on the floor it's
0: like a backyard he, like side house kind of thing Because like yeah. he's made a bunch of money from this so i'm assuming he lives in a big house and and this is like his backyard like spare house that he kind of doubles as his studio that's kind of or, the vibe uh, yeah that I, got. I don't know or he just yeah rented
1: a small place for a year and just said fuck it like that's what i feel and he what was incredible about it like you said is is there's a couple moments and again spoiler alert right here when he hits his 30th birthday Oh, and, yeah. alone. and I'm going to turn 30 in a year. Like that was incredible. The dedication it took for him to stay there and complete this special, let alone like the breakdowns midway through the hilarious comedy that he comes up with. It was such a tortured soul yes. documentary and what it, what it really related to. I think a lot of us around this age, whether you're 20 to 35 the internet age has changed things. And if you watch this, you're going to relate to it. And I've, heard it's held their attention longer than never, which is something that's uh, a very big statement, I think to be said for our generation and let alone, he goes through such hard times, but produces such comedy. And I think we have gone through such tough times and produced so much good, whether it's social awareness, whether it's um, uh, you know, actually seeking mental help, uh, and, and what, like all of those steps that our generation, I would, again, I would say, I don't even care what age you are. Everybody during this has gone through, he has made such a big, um, He has made such a great documentary and and videography of what that can do to a human where one day you're creating something incredible because you're just by yourself, but the next
0: day you're breaking down. Because you're, because you're alone, right? Yeah. Because it's like, you know, and so much of this is, you know, it's centered around one of the songs is talking about like, you know, writing a song with nobody laughing in the background, you know, or or making a joke without anybody there to hear the response to it. And for him, it it seems exceptionally triggering because, that's how his career started as a yeah. YouTube artist writing silly songs in his room and not, not singing the song and then getting that response directly from the crowd, but rather having to go through the process of writing the song, posting it, and then putting it on YouTube and then reading comments or having people tweet at him and say different things. And it, it really was, it was, it was a fascinating thing. And, and I've said this about this whole, this whole special was in 20 years, when we have people coming up to us who were either too young to remember what the pandemic was like, or are, you know, weren't alive during a lot of it. Um, they will come to us and be like, Hey, what was, what was that pandemic like? Cause you know, kids are going to have to learn this in school. So they're going to be like, what was that like dad or uncle Jeff or uncle Vito? Or, you know, like, what, what was it like to live through that? Hopefully they're of age cause it's pretty inappropriate, but like, <laughs> Showing people 20 years from now, 30 years from now, this and that piece of art and being like, this is what it did. This is what it it had its effect on people because those moments where he's breaking down in tears and he was smart enough to capture that on film in the moment. It, it's incredibly uh, relatable and the reaction from people on social media and, and the fact we're talking about it on a podcast now. And, yeah. and, and you know, he posted a couple of the the songs from it directly onto YouTube and within three days, it's at 4 million, 9 million, 10 million views for for multiple different songs. Like the welcome to the internet. You know, that was the first one he posted that whole song, like the commentary on the internet alone was unreal. I was talking to Nicole Auerbach who is one of, she won the award for the national sports writer of the year award from the, there's a association that um, is related to like journalism. Mm-hmm. She won the award for like best journals and she's, I think late twenties, early thirties, she writes for the athletic. She and I were going back and forth on this. Like we were working on a show for the women, the post-game show for the women's college world series last week. And I asked her, I was like, Hey, have you watched the Bo Burnham special? She was like, no, but everyone's kind of been bugging me to, to watch it. I was like, you have to watch it like tonight. Like you have to go home. Yeah. And I was doing that annoying thing where you're being the guy. Yes. Like, yes. Dude, you yes. Gotta watch this shit. Right. Cause everyone's always like, yeah. Okay, dude. But every person I've told to watch it has come back to me and been like, Oh my god! And she, Sam. So she, she and I were texting because she started watching it, and then she was hopping on a Zoom or something with some of her friends, so she couldn't watch. She texted me today, and was like, "I finished it, and oh my god, I'm in love with this guy. Like he, it, everything about this was incredible." And and we're going back and forth about just because it just it resonates. I think especially with our generation. And yes. imagine you know, and that I'm turning 30 song that you talked to, you know, like yeah. this was a year of our quote unquote prime. This is a year of our twenties that a whole generation of people have now lost. And it's easy to say like, and we were talking about this before the show, like, yeah, put your head down, get through this. Cause your body is in like protect mode. We were like, you know, we're, we're in in survival mode. We're fight or flight mode. Like we are just constantly in this state of like, what is the world around us? I don't know what it is, but I just need to make sure that I'm getting through this and I'll deal with the consequences and everything else later. And Having that mentality is exhausting and incredibly difficult to inevitably continue like, like getting out of it. Now that we're on the other half of this, you know, that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and we're seeing the world start to open up again, all of these, complex emotional traumas that we've kind of developed over this last year are affecting us in different ways, whether it's in our relationships or with our job, you know, and and it's, we have to now kind of process it, but it's also at the cost of losing a year in your twenties. And for him to be 29 thinking, Hey, already I'm turning 30 this year. Like that same thought that you just had about, dude, I'm turning 30 this year. That was Bo Burnham at the start of 2020. So his last year of his 20s was spent locking himself in a room torturing himself doing this project that is meant just for other people to laugh and enjoy and he did such a great job of fully showing that 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 full view of what this thing has done to us what this last year has done to us
1: i think it really does show too that in times of intense pain people get intense creativity mm. um a lot of creativity comes from pain a lot of magic just in general in the world comes from pain and 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 I know that's a hard thing to to mention on a sports podcast, but I I think the point is that let's recognize what other people are going through. And I think what this really did was sum up what I think a lot of people have gone through, whether you think that they're smiling and everything's been great or they've gone through openly hellish um, events there's two sides to every coin again. And you need to just remember that like this special, you should watch it and you should appreciate it for the fact that it shows both sides of the coin. It can show someone being creative on the greatest scale in a room. And then his performances are something you never think would come out of one guy in a room. Like they're actually incredible. Look at the limitations that he has watch what he does. And you're like, this is a professional performance. Mm-hmm. And this is also a person who is giving their everything to their craft and they're giving up again, a guy who was finally mentally healthy to go perform fall back down the dungeon hole and somehow at the end, like be able to, to walk outside that room and, and you need, you need to watch it. If you're listening to this, you listen to us, I guarantee you'll appreciate
0: it. I, uh, I couldn't agree more couldn't agree more and that's a that's a perfect sentiment to wrap this thing up with so Vito, we went long on this uh but this was (laughs) been i think a hell of a pod thank you everybody for listening thank you buddy for for hopping on here man this has been a ton of fun uh we'll be back later on the week like i said we got us open coverage coming up uh we're gonna try to mix in some more of this life stuff because we've gotten some good feedback and we've gotten into a little bit in the past and and frankly it's just fun i mean as much as we love sports like We are both very well-rounded people. We're people who enjoy things outside of the the world of sports. So thank you, buddy. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. And uh, we'll be back here soon later on the week with the next episode of The Read Option. We'll talk to you then. And take it easy, y'all.